Avast there, mates, and listen up. Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Avon Park set sail from June 25th through June 30th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. with a special family fun night on Friday for the whole family. We'll be casting off with the Proof Pirates this year. You'll not want to miss this thrilling time of fun, games and Bible lessons on the high seas. Send your questions to info at fbcap.net or visit www.fbcap.net. Keep a weather eye out for more information and how to sign up. Proof Pirates, finding the treasure of God's amazing grace. You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and find the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. We are in a series that we just simply titled a few weeks ago, Look and Live. The idea that as we see Jesus Christ for who he is, we can have life. As we have been making our way through John's gospel, especially this section here, we've been looking at the newness that Christ comes to bring. And you'll notice in John 1, 2, and 3, and as we begin here in John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, all that Christ is doing is he is saying that what I offer is new. It's a new wine. The wedding. At the temple, it's new worship. To Nicodemus, it's a new life. And here, the woman on the well, a new understanding of what water is. Now, John chapter 4, the woman on the well, is one of those sections of Scripture that we've heard often about growing up in church. But what I want us to look at this morning is what did Jesus offer this lady? And it is the same thing that Jesus Christ is offering today. When we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand this. The gospel is about true grace. What it means for God so loved the world that whoever believes can have life and have life everlasting. What, what grace is all about. We think about Jesus Christ, he offers that true satisfaction. All the things of the world are always going to leave us empty at the end of the day until we truly understand and embrace Christ. Jesus Christ, he comes to offer true worship. With the Lord, it's not about things and stuff and places and events. It's always about the heart. Do we truly worship God for who He is? And so isn't it great to know that something that happened so many years ago and the offer that Christ gave that lady is so real for us here today that Jesus Christ still offers these great things. So take your Bible, if you will, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and he parted again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria and saw Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It would have been noon. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Has he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband's. So what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful that you are the great I am. And even as you spoke to the Samaritan woman when you said, I am he. We are grateful that you are who that you say that you are. Lord God, I pray this morning that we could understand and truly embrace the offer that is extended to us here this morning. To receive you as our Lord and our Savior. To know that we have the hope of our salvation and that we have the hope of living out the gospel life. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word today. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. They say in the Middle East, and you take a a tour in Jerusalem, and you can do a lot of research on this, that historically speaking, Jacob's well is still Jacob's well, and they know the existence. If you've never been over to, the, to Jerusalem and see the Holy City, a lot, a lot of times people come back and say they were a little disappointed because, you know, it, it, it is kind of commercialized. Any, you know, even though uh, I always remind myself of this, it doesn't take long for us humans to mess anything up, does it? So we can even mess up the Holy Land. And the reason I say that is you say, well, somebody says this is here and somebody says that is there and, and they're trying to get you to kind of come to see what's there and there and not there. But what they say is that Jacob's well is still there. And they have actually built a, a church around it. Uh, in the 1800s, a Greek Orthodox church built a building and built a church around the actual well. And so many people have told me when they go over to Israel and they go over to the Middle East, one of the things they always want to do is sit on Jacob's well. They want to sit where Jesus sat. So it's a real historical place and event where Jesus Christ encountered a person. And he made her an offer. He made an offer of who he was and what it meant to believe who he was 
and receive him. And that offer is still available today. Notice there in those first few verses, I, I do apologize for the typographical error in the, in the bulletin. I have the, the points in the bulletin, but there's no women involved. It's just a woman. And so you may see in the bulletin it says, Jesus offered to the women at the well. There's just one. But there may be just one here this morning that needs to receive Christ as their Savior and their Lord. So let's look at those first 12 verses. What does Jesus offer? What did he came to offer Nicodemus? What did he come at the wedding, at the temple? What is Jesus continuing to say as he is living out his earthly ministry? Well, he's coming to bring and offer true grace. Now look at the text and consider that thought for a second. One is, as we think about true grace, let's consider his purpose. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. We know that that is the devil and that is his plot to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I come to give life and give life more abundantly. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So as we think about what true grace is, consider his purpose. Jesus Christ came into the world based on the love of the Father, so that we may have life. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Grace is that gift that we did not deserve. Grace is that, I've heard the acronym several times, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. True grace is understanding that Jesus Christ came for a purpose, and that purpose is redemption. That purpose is not just salvation so that I can go to heaven when I die, even though we talk a lot about salvation. I was talking with our young people during Sunday school about evangelism, and please come back tonight as we talk about practical ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to believe in the gospel, but are we sharing the gospel? I believe sharing the gospel should just be a, a natural overflow of a Christian life. I think as easy as I can share about things I enjoy in life, I ought to be able to just strike up a conversation and talk to someone about the hope that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that I have in the gospel. Yes, it scares us to death, and yes, we can be panic-stricken thinking about it, but it ought to be just a natural overflow of a spirit-filled life to talk to people about Jesus. Because it is true grace. That he did something for me that I could never do for myself. There was nothing I could ever do to receive forgiveness of sin. But Jesus Christ loved me enough that he came to do away with hell, death, and destruction. He came to offer life. And he died on a cross and shed his blood so that I may be saved. That is true grace. If you look at Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man, Jesus' purpose was to come because man needed a Savior. Malachi chapter 3, it's kind of ironic, I think. Not ironic, it's just how God word. Genesis chapter, the first book of the Old Testament, points to the coming of Christ. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.1, it talks about a future hope of the Messiah. And so all of the Old Testament is pointing to the need of a Savior. It's pointing to a need of the Messiah that is coming. Historians and Bible people tell us that there are 300 references of the Messiah in the Old Testament. I'll do a sermon on that. Wouldn't you be excited to me doing a 300-point sermon? 300 references in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, and every one of those references are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So all of the Old Testament was pointing to the coming of a Messiah, and Jesus came. And he is sitting on a well, and he's talking to a woman, and he looks at her in her face and in her heart, and he offers her true grace. So consider the purpose of why Christ came. He came to give life. That is true grace. But secondly, as we think about true grace, and I just want to take a little time historically, consider the place, Okay? The purpose is his coming for redemption. But don't, don't fly through the historical part that we miss what's going on here. Consider the place. Samaria. 
in Jesus' time, who in the world would go to Samaria? Jesus would. Samaria would have been part of the northern kingdom. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians would have been part of what we call today northern Iraq. It would have, been, it would have fallen by the Assyrians. And so if you think back to your Old Testament history, uh, the Chronicles and the Kings, and you think back, the kingdom was divided. You had the northern kingdom, you had the southern kingdom. In 722, the northern kingdom fell. The Assyrians came in and took the city. And by the way, God said it was going to happen. God said, if you turn your back on me, you will fall. It's a great message for our own country, is it not? And so this is what the Assyrians did. The Assyrians didn't just take all the people and, and bring them out of there. He didn't, they didn't just take the city and leave the city the way it was. They, they came in, they took the city, they conveniently killed all the rulers and, and desecrated most of the city, and they took a lot of the, the, the people in the northern kingdom and they took them back to Assyria with them, but they left a good handful of the northern kingdom folks and they told the Assyrians, you go Go live in the northern kingdom and you marry the northern kingdom Israelites, the Jews, and you multiply. So take this into consideration. You've got the northern kingdom fallen. You left some of the Assyrians in there to, to live with the northern kingdom folks. And so after a couple of generations, guess what you have? You have Jews that have intermarried with Assyrians and so, in, in kind of terminology we might could understand, there was not a, a true breed of Israelites. There would have been half-breeds. And God's covenant people of the Old Testament never intermingled with marriage. You were God's chosen people, and you were set apart as holy vessels of God, and you would never intermarry with a, a, with a race of that nature. Ezra is coming in the Old Testament to build the temple. And if you read in Ezra, you see this. Uh, some of the, uh, the, the northern kingdom folks came in and said, Listen, why don't we help you build the temple and we can worship God together? And those that had come from exile after the southern kingdom was taken, they said, We'll have nothing to do with you. We're going to build our temple to worship our God. We have nothing to do with you. And so in the Old Testament, the northern people said, Okay, whatever. They'll build our own temple. Fast forward to the New Testament. You've got the nation of Israel. You've got Jerusalem. And then you've got these false worshiping half-breed of people and they're pagan gods and they don't even come to the temple to worship in Jerusalem and they've got their own temple and they believe parts of the Old Testament but not all parts of the Old Testament. So we're going to have nothing to do with those people. But Jesus did. True grace is understanding Jesus went to where no one wanted to go. He was going to the northern kingdom, and if you look at your map, don't look there now, I won't get you back into the text, you'll be looking at your maps, but if you look at the map, you've got the Jordan River, what you did to go to Galilee is you went to the, you went to the right of the river, and then you went up, and then you went over. But it was quicker to go through Samaria, but you never went through Samaria. It's like some of you, when you go up north, you do anything in the world not to go through Atlanta, won't you? I even had a, a, a pretty faithful Florida grad tell me one time, I hate Atlanta so bad, I bypass Atlanta and go through Athens. Y'all know what's located in Athens? The University of Georgia. That's bad. I'll swim across the ocean before I ever cut through and go through Gainesville, Florida, I guarantee you. So can you, you can imagine what's going on there. They said, listen, we're going where? And we're going to do what? That's grace. I mean, think about your life. Think about who we are. And yet God sent his son. We consider God's purpose and we understand grace. He did so love us. We consider the place, Samaria. Who goes to Samaria? 
consider, thirdly, the person. Now, who are we talking about here? A woman? If you do your research on Middle Eastern culture, it's still about the same. Women aren't very high up on the totem pole, if you know what I mean. And so we have this this woman here, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, for those that have ever taught Sunday school or read uh, in preparation for John or been in Bible studies, there's so many things going on there. Why she's coming at this time of day? Why is she coming alone? Why is nobody with her? But all that you read about this is pointing to this lady had issues. And for Jesus Christ to be talking to her? For someone of of who he was to be talking to her? I thought about this as I was praying through the text and studying this week. If you look at John chapter 3, there was another person that Jesus met. So just take Nicodemus. And take the Samaritan woman. Nicodemus was religious. And was learned and studied in the things of the Messiah. The Samaritan woman was immoral. Nicodemus was a a learned theologian. And had been trained in school in many ways. The Samaritan woman is just a lowly uneducated woman. Nicodemus came to Jesus and recognized something about him. He came to Jesus and recognized him as a teacher and as a mighty man. The Samaritan woman didn't have a clue. Thought it was just some traveler sitting there. Nicodemus was wealthy and God had blessed. The Samaritan woman was poor and had nothing. Nicodemus was a member of the elite in society and would have been pampered and admired and adored. And the Samaritan woman was the bottom rung on the ladder. Who would have been ostracized and ridiculed and shunned by society. We don't grasp the nature of this. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The idea that Jesus would even talk to this woman was radical. Notice verse 9, the woman had to be shocked. The The woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew... From the southern kingdom would ask me for a drink. I'm going to tell you. You write in your Bible after verse 9. That's grace. That Jesus Christ would even acknowledge his presence in her life is grace. Now, some of us have been in church our entire life, and it may be kind of hard to pinpoint this. And so sometimes it's, it's easier for an adult that has been saved later in life to pick up on this. Do you remember when you first heard the voice of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you remember when, whether you were sitting in church or sitting in a Bible study or just sitting at your home, that for the first time in your life you realized that Jesus Christ is speaking to you? I know there's been many times as a believer I'm sitting there and I hear the voice of Christ and I know that it is God wooing and drawing my heart. That's grace. That's love. That's mercy. 
The rich man that had everything couldn't hear a word that Christ was saying, but yet the Samaritan woman that would have no reason to have Christ in her presence, Jesus speaks to her. Think about the world that we live in today. Think about the the number of people that we look out in our society and look at the bottom of the ladder. Whether it's because of ethnic situations. Have you ever thought about terrorism and everything that's going on? And we look at the the, the nationality of, of people and things. And we think about Jesus went to the greatest enemy of the nation of Israel because they were part of them at one time. And he ministered grace to them. You know, I'm grateful for our military and I'm faithful for the the war on terrorism and I I believe in defending ourselves. I believe in in the rights that we have as Americans even to bear arms and I think that is part of the greatness of our country. But when it all boils down to this one thing, there is no one beyond receiving the gospel. And I know as people we tend to gravitate to our own likeness. We can't help it. I mean, we can say whatever we want to about it. We tend to gravitate. I was talking to our young people about evangelism. You know, ball players hang around ball players. Hunters hang around hunters. Cheers hang around cheer. Music, you know, hang around music. Smart people hang around smart people. I don't know. They never let me hang around with them. We just gravitate toward likeness. We, we, that, I'm not talking about that. That's naturally going to happen this side of heaven. It's just we're fallen people. We, we gravitate toward likeness. But true grace is when we go beyond the likeness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to the most popular. He didn't come to the wealthy. He came for those that were sick and that were blind and dead. He hung out with the tax collectors. He rubbed elbows with the pagan and the low of society. If you think about who was with Christ when he died, there was tax collectors and there was fishermen and there were converted prostitutes. And Jesus had all of those around him because those were the ones that responded to who he was. That's grace. Jesus and his grace. We think about Jesus at the well, we must consider what true grace is all about. Secondly, if we look there in verses 13 and 15, and we're springboarding off that verse 10, he says, I come that you may have living water. What Jesus Christ brings, and and, and think about this, is true satisfaction. One of the great things about sharing our faith and proclaiming the gospel of Christ, it's like, it's like preaching. There's nothing I can do to convince anyone that this is true. There's nothing intellectually. I, I might can be a great debater and logical and wordplay and philosophical arguments and all this, that, and that. That's great. There's nothing I can convince you that it is true apart from the Spirit of God opening up your heart and mind and you realizing I have no hope in self. It is the gospel. Pasquale was an old theologian back many years ago across the great pond and he said that every man has a God-sized void in their heart that only God can fill. That is true. When I preach the gospel, even on Sunday morning to you folks that I see every, every, every Sunday, I know that I am preaching because I know that there is a need in your life. I know that something happened in your life this week that the gospel can fill and sustain. There's things that are going on in our life that the only way that we are going to be satisfied is that we continue to remember what we have in Christ. You know how I know that? Because I know there are many times in my life that I am seeking satisfaction from other places. I'll tell you a little silly example about that. What if my satisfaction in ministry is how well I'm liked? I've already been told this morning. I'm not going to name names. I'll just stare at them. It's an ongoing Sunday morning thing. How long is your sermon this week? I said, well, I got a problem. 
I got three messages. <sighs> but I do understand this. When I turned 50, I'm 51 now, so I'm a, I'm a year closer to halfway dead. I understand your body's a clock. You only can sit so long, and then sooner or later you got to go to the restroom, right? So I feel for the senior adults. I got it. Doesn't mean I'm going to get through on time, but I do understand that our body's a clock. Well, what if I took that to heart? Oh, my goodness, he's not satisfied. I'm not, I'm not being fulfilled as a preacher because somebody doesn't like my message. I'm, I'm not fulfilled as a pastor because I've made somebody mad. I'm not fulfilled as a pastor because somebody said my sermons are too long or they're too short or they're not gripping enough. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? If I feel that way, I will spend my entire ministry trying to be, let you meet my needs. Now, there's some truth to that. I don't want to be pastoring a church. Nobody likes me. But at the end of the day, guess where my greatest satisfaction is found? Lord, if I preach and there's five people here or 5,000 people here, did I please you? Did I say what you wanted me to say, Lord? Did I do what you wanted me to do as a pastor? Did I lead in a way that is pleasing to you? See, that's what Christ comes to offer. Can I be real clear? Do you know how many times a week I have to remind myself of that? About seven days a week. The same way you need to remind yourself, my satisfaction is not found in what people think of me. My satisfaction is not found in my job. My satisfaction is not found in anything but in the Lord Jesus Christ and the living water that he offers. And Christ looked at that woman and knew exactly what she needed to be satisfied. If you look at that word, oh, living water in verse 10, it, uh, what I love about Scripture is it, it is continues to repeat itself on what it's saying and what it's doing. Living water. You must be born again. Remember that? You must be born again, born of the Spirit and born of the water. And we look at Ezekiel and we know that the coming of the Spirit in a new man is going to cleanse and refresh and empower. And so the Spirit of God can only bring about this being born again by the Spirit and by the water. The same living water that Christ is talking about here, there is something that must take place in your life and it is called living water. It has to be a supernatural thing that comes from above and it will take you and change you from the inside out and it only can be found in one place and that is the Lord Jesus Christ living water notice the terminology here in verses 13 and 15 Jesus said everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of thy water he will never be thirsty again you think about that word never thirst again is where we get our idea of eternal security and salvation and it, we say once saved and always saved I like to say this once in the hands and arms of my Savior eternally in the arms of my Savior you think about that so Jesus is going to offer living water and go no never mind no, take and drink of living water. It is eternal. It lasts forever. It is from the inside out. Notice what else he said. You gather, uh, you drink, you have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst again. The water I give him will become in him of water welling up to eternal life. It is e eternal water. It is a dynamic and a, a growing water. Guess where it is? Verse 14. In Him. Welling up to eternal life. A continual manifestation of the Spirit of God within us, literally from the inside out. That's what makes the gospel so wonderful. Without the hope of Christ, we are living life from the outside in. 
And so without the hope of Christ, like the Samaritan woman, we are living life based on external circumstances. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and all of these things. She had a behavior problem. This man, this man, this man. Everything is external. If we don't have Christ, you're trying to deal with life out here. But once you receive Christ as your life and you have the living water, you are changed from the inside out. And once your insides get changed, your outsides take care of themselves how do you deal with the tough things of the day because Christ is in you how do you deal with those circumstances that you used to not deal with you can deal with them now because Christ has changed you you see differently you act differently you believe differently turn if you will to 2nd Corinthians verse 5 keep your spot there 2nd Corinthians 5 very familiar passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. You're familiar with this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a, a union that it takes place. Scripture talks about me being in Christ, but also that Christ is in me. I don't understand it, but I accept it. I say that often not to make light of tough doctrine. I love tough doctrine. I am in Christ, Right? Christ is in me. Now, my little mind can't wrap around that, but I'm glad I, my heart can. I am in Christ. He is in me. That's why they said, listen, one of my little things I always say, you can do it because he has done it. I can do it because he's in me and I'm in him. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice what verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, I am a new creation, brand new, born from above. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again, born from above. The old is passed away, the old is behind. Does that mean that we, wouldn't it be great in the moment we got saved, we never sin again? I can remember like it was yesterday. I was going to church for all the wrong reasons, but at least I was going to church. I was going to church because I wanted Sharon's parents to think I'd go to church. And in my mind, I wanted to marry Sharon and go to church. But it wasn't a theological, spiritual thing. It was more practical. I wanted to be a good dad, a good husband, a good man. I wanted to go to church. So I would go to church because Sharon's parents would be there, and I kind of knew they had to approve of this thing. So guess what happened? I go to church for all the wrong reasons, but I went to church. And Jesus slipped on the pew beside me and said, hey, I'd love to offer you some living water. I was at a church where the Bible believed in the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word of God, and boom, my eyes were opened up to the truth. Woo! I knew I got saved. I went back to church Sunday night. That wasn't supposed to be convicting, but I guess it could be. I walked in Sunday night at Milner Baptist Church, 15 people there, and everybody looked at me going, we don't have anything for young people. I said, you got the word, don't you? I had to pick Sharon's mom and dad up off the floor. Can you imagine that? I walked in church on Sunday night. Living water. So Sunday night, I, I remember talking to the pastor when I left, and he said, hey, I want to come talk to you on Monday night. Monday night, pastor visitation. Can I, can I come to your apartment? I live by myself with a roommate. We live by ourselves. And so Monday, I, I, I got up Monday morning. I was just so excited. I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, yes. But there was a problem. The people I work with have not had the same joyous experience I just had. And I remember like it was yesterday, I was so excited. I go to church on Monday morning, and uh, I get in the, we, I was a power line construction guy. That's why I limp now. I used to be a pole climber. And I go to work, and we spend so much time together with these guys, and we carpooled over to where we were building some power lines. And I, we get out of the truck, and immediately we start working, and it was just like, oh, my goodness. The language, why are you cussing and screaming? Whoa, whoa. By lunchtime, I was right back to where I was. And I remember by the time I got home Monday night, I was just weeping in my apartment going, how, can I, how could I have had such an encounter with the things of the Lord? And by lunchtime, I lost my temper and flown off the handle, and I started cussing like a sailor again. 
story is you drink like a marine and cuss like a sailor, but that's just a marine and sailor joke. No, don't write that down. Now, granted, was it my fault? Yes, it was my fault. Do I, do I blame that on the Lord? No, I do not blame that on the Lord. Could I have gone to work Monday morning and not done falling back to some of the same vices? Yes, I could have, but I didn't. And I repented, and Jesus forgave me. Old things have passed away, but they still may be there. So here's what I do with that. I got up Tuesday. I said, all right, I'm a little stronger now. I don't, I don't weather that little storm. Tuesday wasn't that bad. Wednesday was pretty good. Thursday was pretty good. Friday was pretty good. Guess what happened? The, the old John got further and further apart. We've got to leave the past in the past, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Our want-tos change, and our actions should change as well. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creator. The old has passed away. Notice the new is and has become new. When we think of that living water, yes, it is eternal, it is dynamic, and it is growing. And yes, the old is the past. As we, Here's the great thing about what Scripture does. As I read Scripture, I understand what I need to live in the past. I understand those things that don't need to be in my life, and I leave them in the past. And as I read Scripture, I understand what things need to be new. Lord, what can I do today? To, what truth am I reading in your word that I learn about you? What promise do I need to claim? What truth do I need to live out? Lord, show me in your word every day how I need to be become new See, that's what living water does that's what the true satisfaction is there will be things I can remember this because I'm getting older practical things when I was a younger pastor my goals were a little different you know maybe as, as a younger pastor when I was in Indiana it's easier to always look at the grass is greener on the other side you remember what Irma Bombeck said about the grass greener on the other side? Sometimes greener grass is growing over a septic tank. Some of you ladies are going, he quoted Irma Bombeck. See, I'm very cultured. Some of y'all don't know who Irma Bombeck is. Or Louis Gazard, for that matter. But as you get older, satisfactions change. Contentment change. Life changes. As you raise your children, your, your life changes, and this changes, and that changes. Is You know, uh, what I love about high school kids, they're going to change the world. And then they get in their 20s. And God does something different in their life. But the thing is, as we continue to live out the Christian life, those satisfactions will change with us as well. Some of us are being satisfied. We're, we're looking for satisfaction in the wrong places, in relationships and people and power and prestige. We're looking for job and money and success. Some of us as parents, we're looking at satisfaction in the wrong places. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I just want my children to be successful and smart and get good grades and a scholarship. And I've always told mine, I just want you to be holy and love Jesus. I don't care what you do. That's a good point. The old is becoming new. Let me ask you this. How new is your relationship with Christ becoming? Is it a daily exercise of sanctification? Jesus said this living water would literally change you from the inside out. Go back to John chapter 4. It is true grace. It is true satisfaction. Look at verses 16 and following. It is true worship. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. 
that I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, you go and you call your husband away from here and you come here. Worship is that which we love and adore. Worship is that where we spend our time. She was worshiping the things of the earth. She was worshiping the things of the flesh. She was worshiping the external things and not worshiping the internal things. Jesus said, well, and then worship comes up. And she said, well, we worship here, and you worship there, and here's a building there, and here's an altar there, and here's a thing here, and there's a thing there. And she missed it. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here. Wouldn't that be kind of neat to be sitting there watching this take place? The hour is now here. I'd be probably running out of the bushes going, here. He's here. I guess I could do it now. He's here. There's some of us here this morning that are struggling with their assurance and their hope in life. Jesus is here. He he wants you to see him for who he is. True worship is here. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Samaria. It's not about this. It's not about there. True worshipers, verse 23, will worship the Father in spirit. It is supernatural. It is from above. It is initiated by the Holy Spirit. They will worship in spirit and in truth, the truth of who God is, the gospel, the word of God, God. You think about what is it that God is asking us to do? Is our worship in acts and services and do's and don'ts? I think they can play into it, but we do what we do because of who we are. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. Some of us may be sitting here today because you know that's just what good people do. I think one of the dilemmas in our older generation, you'll get this older generation. I'll let you figure out who you are. The older generation, you went to church, that's what good people do. In the older generation, you give to the church, that's what Christians do. And I'm I'm faithful, I'm glad. Young people don't have that figured out yet. But if we're not doing it for the right reasons, it's no different than Pharisees. I have known people to come to church on every given Sunday, but they're not coming in spirit and truth. I've had people write a check for anything you want. They can cut a check with the best of all of them, but they're not doing it in spirit and truth. I want to come to church in spirit and in truth. I want to give in spirit and in truth. I want to love one another in spirit and in truth. I want to sing the hymns of the faith in spirit and truth. I want to serve the church in spirit and truth. I want to do the things I do for the right reasons. We all do things we might necessarily want to do, but even those things I do, I want to do in spirit and truth. You see the difference? It's not about morality and what we do. It's about what we do based on who we follow. That's what worship is. You know, I'll stand before the Lord one day and I'll give an account for everything I've done. One of the things as a pastor that a lot of people forget, I am going to give an account for the way I've led Christ's church. And I want to be able to do so based on spirit and truth. Why are we here this morning? Because we want to be? Or we know we need to be? It could be I need to be here, but I do want to be here. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What did Jesus offer that woman that day? True grace, true satisfaction, and true worship. What is Jesus offering us today? The same thing. Is there a point in time in your life that you saw Jesus Christ for who he truly was? It's not about religion or where we worship. It's not about believing there is a God. It's the idea of believing there is a God that is holy and righteous and the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that I as a sinner am separated from that God because of my sin and my depravity and my rebellion. 
But God loved me so much, he sent his son, his only begotten son, to die on a cross for my sin and to pay the penalty I could never pay. And all he asks is for me to acknowledge that he is the Savior and the Lord of my life by repenting of my sin and placing my faith in Christ and living for him as the true living water for all eternity. That's what Jesus said when he said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. All I do is to come and to give life, to seek and to save that which is lost. The gospel is summed up in a lost person finding life in the living water, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever partaken of the living water? Let's stand as we sing and as we pray and close our service today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come just as we are to the living water. We are grateful, Lord God, that you sent your son down a cross for our sin, that we can receive forgiveness of our sin and be saved. And Lord, just as real and personal as you said on that well and you encountered that woman, you're, you are with us through the Spirit today and you are encountering our hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to a point that we can truly see you for who you are. Let us hear and let us respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The invitation is always simple when it comes to Jesus Christ. Come to living waters. You repent of your sin. You place your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you come. The Bible says that we'll be born again. If you're here today and you know there's something going on in your life, I want you to come. If you're here today and you know you are the believer, you need to follow through with baptism, I want you to come. If you're here today and you know you're not part of a church and you're not actively serving the Lord in a church and you want this to be your church, I want you to come. And all I'm going to ask you to do is to come and to sit with one of these men on the front and they're just going to, they're going to get some information and they're going to just ask you what you're coming to do today and they're going to write that down and I'm going to, right after this service, I'm going to begin to follow up with you so that I can see what God is doing in your life and help you do that. Would you be willing to come and share that decision today? Come, just as you are, as we sing, you come. Oh, just tell